Good morning. If you have a Bible, we'll be in Luke chapter 24. So on the right side of your Bible, Luke chapter 24, feel free to use the uh, reference at the beginning of your Bible. Um, you know, I used to be a young adults pastor, um, pastoring people in their 20s and 30s. I'll be honest, it was a lot of fun. It was pretty exciting for most of the time, but there was a huge downside to pastoring a group of people in their, you know, 20s, maybe a bunch of 22-year-olds, and that was this. They hated being single. They, they totally despised it. And, and, you know, those of us who are married in this room realize the irony that they had so much independence. They could do whatever they wanted with their time and nobody was going to keep them accountable. They, they could show up super late. They could be out all night and nobody was going to be thinking that, you know, you should be somewhere else, like, like at home, right? But instead of en enjoying this incredible season of independence, they despised it. They were allergic just to the very idea of being single. Um, and, you know, week after week, young people would come to me at one of our gatherings and they, they would get me to pray for them. And nine times out of ten, they would say, Dan, please pray that God would send me a spouse, right? They've been tra traumatized with the idolization of marriage, probably in their youth group. And so, like, would you please pray that God would send me a spouse? And, you know, they were usually on all of the dating apps, like every single one of them. Uh, but they just haven't found the right person yet, if you know what I mean. And uh, the irony is that they would come to me in a room of probably about 200 other young single people and say, hey, would you pray for me? I'm like, instead of me praying for you, why don't you just go, like, chat with all the, like, single people, like, prayer answered. But I think, I think this reveals to us the desire within us all for relationship. Married or single, we were made by design for relational connection. We are made in the image of God as, as relational beings. This is why you touch your smartphone over 2,600 times a day on average. And instead, you know, of, of connecting with a relational being, we are looking for connection on a cellular device. This is, you know, why we listen to Taylor Swift songs or we watch rom-coms. We are looking for connection. Like, we could just talk about social media and different avenues that we are all looking for connection. This is what St. Augustine said. He said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in God. See, we are made for relationship. We long for connection with others and with God himself. So in Luke chapter 24, we find Jesus has already been crucified. He's been buried. Three days later, he's been resurrected from the dead. And now he's walking around. It's zombie Jesus walking around in his resurrected body. And uh, he comes on this road, the road to Emmaus, and he encounters some of his followers, some of his disciples. And there on the road, he begins to talk with them about the Hebrew scriptures and how they pointed to him. The only thing is they didn't realize that this person walking with them along the road was Jesus himself. They didn't know it was him. They didn't recognize it. And Jesus, as being Jesus, he invites himself over for dinner. And at dinner, we, found, we find him in Luke 24, starting in verse 30. It says, when he was at the table with them, he took bread gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. Kind of weird. Um, and they said to each other, Were not our hearts burning within us 
So while they're at the table, Jesus, he takes bread and he begins to break it and he hands it out to each of the followers of Jesus around the table. And as they grab that bread around the table, his presence is made known to them. There was something about being at the table of Jesus that opened their eyes to the reality that God's presence was there at the table with them. They recognized him at the table. His presence became real. It became tangible to them at the table. The theologian A.W. Tozer once said that the presence of God is the central fact of Christianity. He goes on to say that at the heart of the Christian message is God himself waiting for his redeemed children to push into conscious awareness of his presence. See, when Jesus at the Last Supper with his disciples said, this is my body and this is my blood, he was literally saying that there is somehow that God, Jesus himself, is present with us at the table. See, at the table, his real flesh and blood are mysteriously present with us. The table, in other words, for for centuries has been for Christians and followers of Jesus, the guaranteed place of encounter. See, in the same way that Jesus' presence was made known to the disciples around that table, his presence is made known to followers of Jesus today around the table where we break the, the body and we drink the blood of Jesus. David Fitch writes this, the Lord's table is about presence. Surely it's about eating, but ultimately it's a discipline that shapes a group of people to be present to God's presence in Christ around the table. See, the New Testament church, the early followers of Jesus, as best as we can tell from the scriptures, practice table as a regular rhythm of their everyday lives. This is what Luke records to us in Acts 2.46. He writes, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. This is large corporate gatherings. But then he adds, they, bro- they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. See, for the first few hundred years of church history, followers of Jesus met together in their homes around the table. They shared meals and their lives together. This was their ordinary rhythm of following Jesus. Now, they did meet in, in synagogues and large areas for, for larger gatherings. But, but for the first few hundred years, they met together in homes around the table. This is how they practiced communion. And communion for these early followers of Jesus was actually, now this is going to be shocking for you, was actually an entire meal. It wasn't a cracker and a sip of juice. It was an entire meal known as the agape feast or love feast. You can read about that in Jude 12, also in 1 Corinthians, and many um, second century uh, contemporaries would also talk about this agape feast or love feast. Now, this love feast, think less cracker and juice and more like uh, like a sacramental like potluck, okay? This is what the early Christians did. The early church met together in their homes to share a meal as well as their lives with one another. This was the weekly rhythm of followers of Jesus for the first few hundred years. Now, everything changed around the fourth century. When Constantine conquered Rome, Christianity was not only tolerated, but it was accepted and promoted by the Roman Empire. And as a result, millions of people were now ushering into these church buildings. And what they had to do is they had to make this this meal or this table more efficient for, for hundreds and thousands of people. And because of this, 
they moved the table out of the home and into their newly built church buildings. And church around a table turned into church around the stage. And now we're not down on that but by any means. We're just saying that there was a huge and massive cultural shift in the fourth century where this turned less from a meal and more into a cracker and a sip of juice. Now, I believe, as David Fitch has written, that we, quote, need to recover the table for the church's faithful presence in the world. We must recover the table so that we may encounter God's presence at the table. See, today, most churches in the West practice communion in their Sunday gatherings. It usually consists, as I said before, as a small cracker and a sip of juice. And while this can be beautiful and we celebrate this, we are convinced that there is so much more to communion than this. As we look to the scriptures and the rich tradition of church history, we, um, we are compelled to, to meet together around the table. And so each week, what we are, we are um, suggesting is not only that we will practice church as a family, not only that we will we participate in church as a way of life, but we will embody church around a table each week in our PKC communities. So each week, communities will gather in their homes. They'll partake of the enemies. They'll share a meal with one another and remember what Jesus has done for them. See, around the table will be the primary way we practice communion together. We will also practice communion in our Sunday gatherings like we will this morning from time to time. But church around the table will be the primary way we practice communion as a family. So this morning, what we want to do just briefly is to center less around the sermon. Uh, this centering comes mainly from the Protestant Reformation and focus more on the table. Um, and so this morning, we want to calibrate our hearts and our bodies around the presence of Jesus at the table. Now, I just have to admit, as the pastor of this, this church, this is a very strange and weird practice, okay? It just has to be said. Uh, the early Christians, in fact, were called cannibals by their contemporaries because they gathered in homes to eat the, the flesh and drink the blood of their Jewish Messiah. This was a very strange and, and for many, offensive practice. So if it feels weird, welcome to church. We're glad you're here um, exploring Christianity. Uh, but for these early Christians and followers of Jesus, it was a very intimate way for them to remember what Jesus specifically did for them on the cross. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six and says, For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What that means is by eating this bread and drinking this wine, we are in effect, not with words, but in our actions, proclaiming or preaching the death of Jesus and all of that means for us. We are in effect at the table proclaiming God's love for us. See, when, as I said on Good Friday, when Jesus wanted to explain to his followers what his death was all about, he didn't give them a theory or a model or a metaphor. He gave us a meal. And the first Christians practiced this meal together as a way to reenact God's love for them, and they called it the love feast or agape feast. See, the early Christians believed that the cross is what true love looks like. They believed that the cross revealed God's undying love for humanity as he, he died there on the cross for his people. They believe that Jesus had in effect become the Passover lamb to take away the sins of the world. They believe that the great victory over the powers of evil have been won. 
they believed that Jesus on the cross defeated sin and death. See, the way that the Jewish people celebrated God's victory of being released from slavery in Egypt was through a meal. Passover was for the Jewish people a way of declaring through a meal God's victory over the oppressive powers of evil that enslaved them. In the same way, Jesus gave us a meal, or better yet, he, he reshaped that Passover meal about God's victory over the powers of evil and releasing us from slavery to sin. See, like the Israelites, we celebrate God's victory over the powers of evil on the cross. We celebrate that the Pharaoh or the Satan has been overthrown and his reign has come to an end. We celebrate God's victory over evil and delivering us from the power of sin through his death. And we celebrate this through communion, through bread and wine, flesh and blood. Again, to quote Paul, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Tom Wright says this, breaking bread and sharing the cup in Jesus' name declares his victory to the principalities and powers. It confronts the shadowy forces with the news of their defeat. The bread-breaking meal, the Jesus feast, announces to the forces of evil that Jesus is Lord, that he has faced the powers of sin and death and beaten them, and that he has been raised again to launch his new world in which death itself will have no authority.